All right, ladies and gentlemen, looks like we are live. Welcome to the Secrets of Saturn live stream, number seven, Our Cybernetic Future. Joining me today is, of course, Wayne McCroy, as always. The great Baldini will be joining us. And for the first few minutes, you may not know him and you probably love him. Randy from Houston is going to uh, talk to us a few minutes because he is actually going to be our first sponsor for the live stream since this thing is building really, really quick. So, gentlemen, welcome. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Mr. Bryant, are you with us? Good evening. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn Live. Yes, I am here. Houston is calling. <laughs> We don't have a problem, at least not that I'm, I'm, I'm aware of. So, no, not today. <laughs> I also want to say hello to the Fringe FM. We should be going live there as well. And, uh, well, hopefully I didn't forget anybody. Hi, Crow777, if you're listening, and everyone else that I love out there. So, Randy came to me yesterday with a very interesting idea. He wants to do uh, a sponsorship for the live stream every week, and it's on a, a product that he's been working on. And we actually did speak about this briefly on TFR when he was first starting the business with it. But uh, Randy, let's let's talk about that for just a minute before we get into the cybernetics sure. thing. Sure, let's do it. What you want to know? <laughs> All right. So, what it is to just do real basic stuff here is an engine oil treatment, right? Correct. It is an engine. <laughs> All right. So what it is to just do real basic stuff here is an engine oil treatment, right? Correct. 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 It's actually an engine metal treatment. Uh, a lot of products do treat the oil, but this actually treats the metal inside the engine. So what it does, it molecularly bonds, if I can say that right, bonds to the metal parts of, of the engine. Correct. 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 And all inside of it, the oil acts as a carrier and it carries it all through all the parts. It lubricates it and uh, well, I can give you some of the benefits that it does when it does get impregnated into the metal itself. Overall performance of your engine will be a smoother idle, more horsepower, better fuel economy, improved compression, lower oil consumption, your temperatures and all your parts, will the temperature will drop down a little bit. Matter of fact, I had a a Corvette at one time which had the oil temperature gauge on it it dropped my oil temperature by 20 degrees you know everybody knows that heat will kill an engine over time but what you're doing is just lowering the friction which that's the name of the of the company and the, and the website and of the product it's called lower the friction so it decreases your emissions uh, it slows down the oil additive breakdown because you know oils have additives put into it so it slows that breakdown makes your oil last a little bit longer uh, corrosion resistance uh, gives you a better startups in other words in cold winter days you hit that starter it'll just pop right to it also it lowers the amp draw on your starter now you say well how does that do well if your engine is turning over easier your starter doesn't have to work so hard 
to start the engine. So there's a lot of different benefits to the the uh, treatment of the metal and uh, making it all work good. Questions now? <laughs> well, let's just boil it down. It will help your engine to live longer, and it will, Absolutely. and this is the best part, I, I think, right, up, right off the bat, it'll help you get better fuel efficiency. You'll get better miles per gallon with your gas. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give you an example. I've got a cargo van. Now, I have two different businesses. My other business is is a mobile detailing service where I detail aircraft, boats, trucks. Today, I was actually working on a crane today. On my drive back home, now, I drive conservative. I don't hot rod my van or anything because it's got 216,000 miles on it. I have treated the engine. Now, according to the paper on the window when you buy the vehicle, my van is supposed to get 16 to 20 miles per gallon with no load in it. I'm carrying upwards of 1,200 to 1,500 pounds of cargo in my van. Today, I got 25.8 miles per gallon coming back home today. Now, that is a testament that all the parts are just moving so much easier. The rolling resistance of the engine is is being eliminated so you can get better gas mileage. And see, that's the, that's the biggest thing for me because over the long haul, even if it's just one or two miles per gallon, you add that up over a year's time, you saved a considerable amount of money just in fuel cost. Especially me, you know, where I'm driving my van, you know, that's, that's my company, that's my office. You know, everywhere I drive, it's in that van. And so if I can save just over a year's time, you saved a considerable amount of money just in fuel cost. Especially me, you know, where I'm driving my a few miles per gallon in the long run, it saves me tons of money, you know. That's awesome. And I'm actually going to test this myself because I'm planning on coming to see you in the next couple of days. And we're going to do an right. oil change on my little my little blue Honda and put some in and we'll let you know if this works well or not. By the way, everybody, let me know if there's a problem with the stream because I keep getting weird little dropouts on my main YouTube screen screen here, and uh, I don't know if that means it's not going up properly or not. But everything is showing me that the audio is good. So let me know what's going on in the chat room if anything is is weird. But uh, Randy, why don't you tell hey. them the price and then uh, what promo we're gonna do? Okay. Uh, well, the price of the product is fifty nine ninety five, and whenever you change your oil, you just pour it into your into your engine with your engine oil and it circulates all through there and over the next 3,000 miles it'll treat it. You treat it about once a year or every 12 to 15,000 miles if you're towing a vehicle like if you have a big truck or something like that you're towing a trailer or you know camper or something like that you'll treat it about every 10,000 miles or so to give you that ultimate protection all the time. Um, also we have a, a fuel treatment also when you put it in your gas it goes through and cleans all your fuel system, your injectors, and it lubricates the upper cylinders of the engine also. And uh, you'll see a phenomenal difference in the way your vehicle performs with that in there also. If you get both of them at the same time, some people get one or the other. But if you want the maximum benefit is do both of them at the same time, and uh, you'll see a considerable difference. Our website is lowerthefriction.com lowerthefriction.com that's very very straight up because that's what you're doing is lowering the friction of the engine so it's just lowerthefriction.com go check it out go read all about it and uh, kind of stepping over into what we're going to do uh, when you go to the website and you place your order 
in the promo code for Secrets of Saturn, put SOS in the promo code. You get a 5% discount, and uh, that'll help you save a little bit of money there. So we want to help you guys out and help the show out also and uh, help our customers or people who wants to buy the product too. And uh, that in a nutshell, that's kind of it. Got any other questions? Well, I'm glad you told me it was <clears throat> lower the friction. This is uh, the great Baldini, uh, Randy. Because um, hey. I because I tried to go to reduce the friction, and it was um, <laughs> it was a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's LordTheFriction.com. I'm gonna give you a little bit of information on something. If we got just a minute or two here, I can say it. I've got an engine that I I've got from the manufacturer. Uh, the engine was 40 years old. This is one of their test bed engines. Now this was a two horsepower Briggs and Stratton engine side shaft on it. It had a little plexiglass window on it so you could see all the parts moving. Now, we never, never recommend anybody running an engine without oil, but in their testing to see what the durability of the product would be, they ran this engine a total of three and a half hours off and on with no oil in it. When I got it, it had been sitting for 40 years. I pulled the rope on it real slow and it just got boop, boop, boop. It turned over. I said, well, it's not frozen up. I put fuel in it, pulled it one time and started up. I ran it for 10 minutes without any oil in it. Now, it's a proven fact. If you run an engine without oil, most time within three minutes to four minutes, it's going to tear up. It's going to blow up sky high. I ran it for 10 minutes, turned it off, let it sit in my shop. A few days later, come back. I tore it all down. When you look at the connecting rod or the crankshaft where all the bearing surfaces and everything, it was just clean, shiny parts, except on the crank crankshaft, it had a little little scar on it. It looked like maybe a contaminant got in the oil at one time or another and just put a little scratch in it. Other than that, all the parts were just smooth and clean. The piston looked like it was brand spanking new. <laughs> so there you go over 10 over three and a half hours 40 years of sitting and it's and it's still cranked up and it ran with no oil in it now we don't recommend that you run your car without oil but 85 percent of your engine wear occurs when you first start the engine because all the oil is in the crankcase when you change oil it takes anywhere upwards of 10 seconds for the for the oil filter to fill and then your oil pressure comes up and then another probably 10, 15 seconds or maybe even a little longer depending on the car to get circulated through all the parts really well. So you see your engine all the time is starting up and running without oil. But, but this comes in where the lower the friction comes in. It gives you that protection while your engine is starting up and even full-time protection while you're driving too. So, Randy, what you're saying is it not only helps um, prevent uh, thermal and viscosity breakdown of your oil lubricant, but it actually, um, the lubricant stays on the parts, so when you're starting your engine, it doesn't damage them. Is that what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it stays right with it. It doesn't wear off. Now, if, you know, over time, everything has a tendency to want to wear a little bit, so that's why we recommend about every twelve to 15,000 miles. I always kind of tell people just like once a year because we usually drive about ten to 12,000 miles a year in our cars and stuff and uh, just get it treated, get the maximum protection all the time. I've got documentation, uh, just stacks of documentation where uh, over the years it has been used many years ago. And I'll give you a little back history if we've got just a minute. Um, 
Mario Andretti used it in the Indy cars many years ago. Uh, race car driver, dragsters, 18-wheelers, aircraft, a lot of these vehicles have used the product. But over time, you know how it goes a lot of times, companies come in and try to uh, buy off the companies and mess them over. And, and the, the gentleman had really been messed over really bad. And so his product just kind of disappeared off the market for many, many years. And so I finally found the, the actual <laughs> company. And when I called him and talked to him, uh, they'd been wanting to bring the product back out. When I told him I wanted to be a distributor of this product, private label, et cetera, et cetera, he said, let's do it. And so here we are. The product has been around since 1975, but now it's coming back on the market under a new label and everything, and and it's just phenomenal product. You gotta try it. You gotta have it in your car, especially with the prices of cars. Second to your house, that's the most expensive investment that you'll make uh, beside your house. So why not protect it with the ultimate uh, engine treatment? You know. All right. Well, that's awesome. Uh, we're actually having weird video dropouts. The audio's good, but I am going to drop the stream and redo it real quick. So, Randy, thank you so much. I'll make sure to mention that again at the end of the show. And uh, yes. let's see how this goes. I hope everybody will jump on awesome. for the offer. Thanks, Randy. All right, guys. Y'all have a great one. We'll see you. Take Randy. care, brother. All right, gentlemen, you two hold tight for a second. I am going to end the stream not on YouTube, but on our end. <clears throat> and re redo it because apparently there's weird dropouts going on. So hang tight a second. Rockets. Can you hear me at all? Oh, I can hear you guys fine. I'm uh, I'm redoing the uh, the settings here just to make sure and try and get this cranking back up again. So the refresh stream looks good for me. I'm waiting. Because honestly, I had very terrible sound quality the whole time. Like, I couldn't hear what in the world was going on. Saying we're wow. back. Yeah, I had no trouble, trouble with the sound at all. But, you know. No, the sound I mean, has Jason, been tight on my end. Uh, it's Jason and I are audio guys. so <laughs> That's true. Well, hopefully this all works out then. I'm going to refresh this and see if this is happy. Oh, I see everybody again. Okay, I'm going to check with the chat room, but I think we're good to continue on. Are we okay? <clears throat> I think so, but I'm going to confirm. Okay, everybody, I just put it in the chat room. Audio and video, everything is good. We're ready to continue. I don't know what happened, but you know how these things go. <laughs> All right, I got a thumbs terrible. up, so I'm I guess we're good. Some... I'm sorry? What was that, Wayne? I can't hear you. You can't hear me. Oh, dear. I can't hear you. The audio keeps cutting out on me. Um, very choppy. I'm going <clears> to <throat> drop you and reconnect you then because okay. uh, Baldini and I are both crystal clear as far as I can tell. Yeah. Chat room, can you hear Wayne? Well, I guess it doesn't matter because he can't hear us anyway. Yeah, I can hear Wayne fine. Yeah, I hear him fine too, but I'm going to drop him and then just add him back in. I could hear you. Could, could you hear me now? Oh, you're back? You're good? Wayne? Okay. No, go ahead and drop me because it's still cutting out. All right, just just hang up, Wayne, and I'll call you right back. <clears throat> so while they're doing that, I just want to um, thank everybody gotcha. who 
<clears throat> thank everybody who's uh, submitted their information for our um, our little uh, test, uh, the research project that we're working on. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about it uh, during the live stream on number five and also on uh, Crow's uh, TFR uh, this Sunday. Um, if you uh, if you aren't familiar with that, you can go back and uh, take a look at the Secrets of Saturn live stream number five, and uh, where we're kind of looking to quantify. Uh, the awakening pro uh, process and um, try to put together uh, some ideas and we've had some uh, really terrific results so far. I appreciate everybody who's uh, who's um, been willing to take a part, uh, be a participant in that. Okay, um, let's try this again. Go ahead, Baldini. Go ahead and finish. Yeah, I was just going to say um, again. If you want to, uh, if you want to participate in that again, the uh, email address unintended.consequences3 at gmail.com, and um, we'll get you we'll get you into the uh, into the program. We just uh, just wanted to again thank everybody who's uh, who's decided to participate so far. We've had great response, uh, and I think we're we're already <clears throat> just as I start to aggregate some of the data. It's very early, but I'm starting to see some some interesting results. So uh, we'll let you know as that uh, as that goes on. But uh, just wanted to tell everybody I appreciate their uh, their willingness to help support that. Wayne, are you hearing us okay? Wayne? I could hear. It's still a little bit choppy, but I can keep up now. All right. I'm, I'm starting to think that's on your end because Baldini and I and you coming to us is all great. Um, do you want to take a moment to reboot your computer and then just come back? And I'll let, I'll let Baldini explain the rest of uh, the, the test he wants to do. You know what? Kill your video, Wayne. Yeah, that's no got, that, that's got to no be on kill. his end because everything else is super <laughs> super tight. Oh dear! You know, it's a, that. I'll try that. Wayne, kill your video if you can hear me. <laughs> kill it. As, as, as we say in Texas, if it ain't the windmill, it's the pigs. <clears throat> I think that's something. I think that's something uh, Randy from Houston would understand. Well, I'll tell uh, you what. Can you hear me? Yes, but we've always been able to hear you. You're just not hearing us. No, you're not getting us. No, you may not be All right. Well, it's it's the attack of the the cybernetic occult here. They knew what we were going to uh, talk about. Yeah, I guess so. Um, they're they're jumping on us. Okay, so. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, anyway, um, we had a, a terrific amount of uh, response uh, from our first live stream, and then um, a whole bunch more people uh, jumped, jumped on board uh, following our um, conversation on Sunday in the TFR stream. So um, just to kind of give you an idea of what's, what's happening there, we, uh, most of us have at one time or another, uh, and I say us just sort of um, – with the presupposition that most of the people who are um, joining us in the stream tonight have um, at some point or another um, realized that uh, the narrative, the official mainstream narrative that we're told um, is inconsistent with what we view in the world around us as, as uh, Crow would say, it's poppycock, right? <laughs> uh, and for <clears throat> for many of us, it's a, it's a similar event. Um, it may be um, the, the, the locus of it, the starting point might be different, um, but there's um, seems to be some similar elements to it um, once you kind of uh, initially you start to think maybe you're a little bit crazy you start to look at things uh, a little bit differently um, there's often a grieving process especially when it's it goes beyond just the first event again for some people that might be um, you know way back the JFK assassination that the uh, um, 
the, that the original Warren Commission report was uh, again uh, clearly a fabrication or for some people 9-11 was the big wake-up call for other people chemtrails just a variety of different things that um, again when you realize the mainstream narrative is, is um, uh, deception it's a lie and the more you begin to look into it you realize that um, more and more things just don't make sense and, and sooner or later it becomes somewhat overwhelming when you start to put it all together in the Scaligerian timeline uh, of history that doesn't make any sense especially if you look back at archaeology and that sort of stuff so uh, many people have um, some similar um, experiences uh, especially feeling um, you know going through a, what really could be best described as the grieving process um, and then you start to feel somewhat isolated you uh, often want to tell other people about it they don't want to hear about it um, you find out pretty quickly that there's um, a great deal of pushback uh, oftentimes they'll get really angry or upset with you um, and they want to kill the messenger uh, and so uh, you know it's been said <clears throat> that uh, it, it's far easier to, to fool a man than it is to convince him that he has been fooled <clears throat> so um, uh, what we're trying to do, so I think a lot of people, um, once you've been on this side of the equation and you've been down to the rabbit hole a bit, um, you begin to wonder uh, what uh, what separates, what differentiates uh, people from those who you know wake up or the red pill or whatever you want to call it uh, from those who don't. And uh, so I've had a number of conversations with different people, listened to a variety of interviews with people um, on a uh, bunch of different channels, and I started to get some ideas uh, and about uh, potentially a way to quantify some of this and what are the characteristics uh, that are in common uh, and so um, I have you know some background in uh, data aggregation and pattern recognition uh, so I was kind of looking for uh, ways to really quantify this and actually put some hard um, data into it of course we don't have um, access to the to the kind of data that uh, you know our friends at the alphabet agencies and, and Google <laughs> have and frankly I kind of don't want it I mean they're using it for nefarious purposes but um, you know we're just um, looking for some similar things in common and so um, we asked some people to uh, to participate in kind of a study and uh, let us know a little bit about um, their experience and and so we've had great response so far uh, again some some very interesting um, early um, some early indicators and so we'll we'll let you know more as those become available but if you want to participate uh, in the study um, again just hit me up at uh, unintended dot consequences three at gmail dot com cool all right, well, with us, Wayne. Now he's rebooting. He just texted me on, uh, on on Facebook, so he'll be back in a moment. I'm gonna have him just go audio tonight. Uh, apparently, it's it's his internet provider because everything else looks like it's super strong. YouTube is telling me the connection is excellent and yeah. nothing else has lagged out. So, don't know really what's going on. Maybe it was the Skype. Yeah. Should we begin with kind of the background and history of cybernetics? You want to let Wayne kick that off, or? Um. Yeah, we can do that. I was going to ask you, do you have any preliminary observations on the data so far? Because what you're doing is very, very interesting. For instance, when I took the uh, the test, uh, I always forget the name of them. What are they called? Oh, the Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs yeah. test. Personality assessment. Yeah. yeah. And what did you make of the assessment that I got? And I'll, I'll pull it up so I can read the, the numbers. Well, I am an ENTJ, which is mm -hmm. extrovert 19%, intuitive 41%. Thinking nine and judging twelve. Now I don't know all that much what this stuff means. I've only briefly looked at this stuff, but apparently a lot of companies use this stuff to see how people will sure. get along and all that kind of thing. Well, in fact, um, Rose knows a, a pretty good amount about it. She's yeah. um, she has some history with it. Um, really, it's what it is. It's um, the Myers Briggs uh, personality assessment um, is based uh, largely on Jungian uh, types. 
Um, so it has some inherent limitations, and it's certainly not the end-all, be-all of um, you know digging deep into somebody's soul or anything like that. But what it what it does do, um, it can be a useful tool um, into helping understand. Um, so really, the way that we learn and the way that we um, navigate the world primarily is I guess the way to put it is that um, the way we intake and process prioritize um, and group data and really the way that neuropsychology works and um, neuroplasticity is that um, how we take in information and the way that we group it um, really gives us the so then kind of I guess dovetails a little bit with cybernetics is, is um, then the feedback loop is then uh, how we then approach the world. So we use our experiences in a certain way. And then based upon that, it's the way that we interact with other people, but also we interact with the world around us. So um, you, your results being um, the two middle letters there, intuitive thinking, um, didn't surprise me at all. In fact, um, so one of the things that I saw is that a lot, yeah, I, I hesitate to go too deep into this because I don't want to um, influence um, anybody's, uh, you know, undue influence on their on their results. But um, so when you take the test, right, so the reason a lot of corporations use it is, is um, some people think it's always going to tell me what to do, or, you know, it's like one of the uh, you, you know, like you, you go to your guidance counselor or something, right? Oh, you should you should be a a, a vet tech, right? No, <laughs> it's it's nothing like that, really. What it, what it does is it basically describes um, the ways that you process and data, and like for example, extrovert, introvert, introvert, right? So which are you? And a lot of people can be either borderline on that or um, very wide apart. Um, and so um, so for you know, for example, intuitive is the way that um, you intuit things versus um, what you might do is get um, uh, information from an external source. So you rely more on your internal um, uh, experience than you would rely on an external source of, of authority. So one of the things that I did see uh, with um, some of the early uh, data is that um, many of our respondents are um, certainly intuitive thinking and INTJ is one of the more common ones. In fact, it made up a, a large chunk of our uh, of our early results, which is, uh, again, kind of an outlier because really um, they make up less than 3% of the overall population. So um, you can see that um, that, that makes a, a big difference and there's, there's good reason for that. However, as we begin to get more um, respondents, one of the things I found is that um, that uh, changes a little bit when you start to look at the differences between gender because um, women temp uh, have a tendency to approach things somewhat differently in that they're bilateral so that their left and right hemispheres of their brain are connected and so it's often been said that women don't feel anything they don't think and they don't think anything they don't feel it's it's a um, you know and men are I guess we could say brain damaged <laughs> in, in, the, in that we're um, we are one at a time right so we're either logical or emotional um, which often explains how why men do really crazy stuff stupid things, we drop our emotional side, our, our, um, our logical side, and go straight into emotion and become overcome by it. And then uh, when you come to your senses, then you literally come to your senses. And then, um, so men compartmentalize a little bit better. Um, but uh, so um, the the results, and this was a little bit of a surprise to me because I didn't think of it in that way, um, that uh, there are differences uh, by gender in this process um, in terms of uh, how people approach the data and what woke them up. So I'm going to be fascinated. Uh, to dig through this information and to find out um, the corollary stuff. It's going to be, um, you know, I think if nothing else, we stand to, to learn a great deal. Um, one of the things I think we'll cover tonight um, is that um, w one of the things that I discovered sort of early on in the process of 
you know what's what's happening to us this full spectrum uh, programming that we get from the media uh, is that largely the what, what I would call like the hypnosis or spellbound that people seem to be under is a, a result of it literally is a kind of being under hypnosis or a spell in that it has to do um, largely with the power of suggestion and that um, some people are more um, suggestible than others and some people like can't be hypnotized um, and so these things play into it a little bit and um, will see as we look into the the history of cybernetics right is that um, uh, early on in the 19 in the early 1940s they were um, uh, getting very deep into uh, basically mind control with hypnotism and condition conditioned reflex with uh, what they were calling cerebral inhibition they were l literally trying to learn how to um, mass mind control people um, and uh, Edward Bernays was kind of the same thing you know called it propaganda but it's all um, similarly related. So if we understand that as the um, as the machinations of it and what's happening, uh, then ultimately sort of the idea is that if we can come up with a deprogramming script, right, a way to um, uh, sort of gently but effectively get people to wake up uh, to the fact that they have been deceived um, without setting off the triggers and landmines that have been placed there um, artificially. So ultimately, I think that's the hope is that we can not only quantify it, but maybe come up with a way to um, at least broaden um, the possibilities that, that we can wake people up. So that's the hope. All right. Cool beans. I think Wayne's back with us. How are we looking, Wayne? Oh, dear. All right. Could you hear me? Oh, there you are. Well, we can hear you. How about uh, you hearing us? I could hear you guys now, too. Uh, sorry about that. That's a hiccup with my internet service for some reason. For some reason, every once in a while it does stuff like this, like my internet service will start cutting in and out intermittently, and uh, it picked a bad time to do it tonight. Unfortunately, where I live, out in the boondocks, we only have one option for an internet service provider, So, uh, and that option's not the best. So that's what I'm stuck with at this point. Picked but a bad uh, day I apologize for that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Picked a bad day well, to put sniffing glue. If only I had my glue to snip. Right? <laughs> Yeah. Surely I, you jest. I'll tell you what. I don't, and don't call me Shirley. Indeed. Uh, All right, indeed. so let's move on to the topic at hand. Uh, well, Wayne, why don't you start this one off? I, this is a topic you picked, so I'm usually the one saying, let's do this, let's do that, but you asked for cybernetics, and I said, absolutely. So go ahead and start us off. Okay, well, cybernetics is uh, basically... Uh, for people who don't know, it's, this is the study of systems control. So this is all about controlling systems. And the word cybernetics itself is actually derived from an ancient Greek word called kybernetes, which uh, literally means steersman or pilot. So uh, cybernetics was always uh, the goal of which is control. So it was always meant as a science of control. And a lot of people don't realize that about cybernetics because when they hear the term cybernetics, they think largely of uh, robotics and artificial intelligence and stuff like that, which is a major part of it. But uh, the, the basic premise behind all of it is cybernetics is a systems control science. And this is what they do and how they look at things. They approach things from a whole systems perspective and uh, figure out the best means of control of the entire system. So that's, that's the approach these people take when it comes to cybernetics. And uh, 
much of the early cybernetics work was started with the Macy conferences back in the 1940s. And Jason, I know you know a little something about that. You and Crow have done uh, some shows about the Macy conferences and uh, the Macy Foundation. Absolutely. So uh, that's where a lot of this stuff finds its roots is way back with those Macy conferences. So uh, cybernetics uh, was started part and parcel with uh, this, the whole uh, Macy conference thing. So uh, these things have become now, you know, famous or infamous, depending on how you look at them. Uh, a lot of uh, big movers and shakers in the science community came together in these Macy conferences and exchanged ideas, and uh, they came up with these whole cybernetics ideas. Uh, the term cybernetics was coined by a gentleman named Norbert Wiener, and, uh, Wiener. which is a great name, by the way. But... <laughs> Uh, he, he termed mercy pretty much yeah yeah but he he, co he coined the term cybernetics and uh this has been used as basically the means of control of the power structure ever since the uh, late 1940s and early 1950s this is what they use uh in all facets of our society even economics is a cybernetic system. When you look at it that way, whole economies are controlled via the cybernetics principles. Uh, basically, our, our education system, also a cybernetics uh, control system. Just about everything you could think of. This is, this is the approach they use. And well, this sure. is a total opposite. Go ahead, and, and No, I was going to say, Wayne, wouldn't, wouldn't you say, I mean, um, the, the original... Um, coining of the term cybernetics came back as far as the 1830s, right, 1836, um, and they were using um, steam engine logic uh, in England, um, but really the, the big shift uh, in the 1940s with the Macy Conference, and, and not the Macy's Parade, right, <laughs> um, with these Macy's Conferences, that they, they largely went from um, uh, systems control in a manufacturing context to cognitive uh, control uh, with these Macy Conferences in the 1940s. Is that, would you concur with that? I would say that's probably a pretty good assessment, yeah. Yeah, uh, so they, this is... This is where the modern science of cybernetics comes from, is, is what we should say. I guess that would be uh, the more apropos thing to say, correct? Yeah, and it, um, so basically um, uh, systems control from a top-down uh, view uh, using interdisciplinary studies and um, primarily the, the use of a logic-controlled feedback loop, right? So that um, it, uh, the information gathered from the first round of application, I mean, basically um, <clears throat> it's using a form of teleology, right? Which is um, uh, essentially uh, goal-oriented uh, so the understanding of, of a, like telos, right, a goal. Um, so teleology, the understanding of um, a process with a goal, with with a specific purpose, uh, so that you get um, uh, an output ultimately, right? So that you have this feedback loop that is supposedly in, continually improves itself. And this is why artificial intelligence and robotics is so closely um, aligned. Uh, with um, cybernetics and why many people have conflated it, um, you know, with the modern use of cyber everything, right? You get a, you're a cyber man, right? They think that means robotic, but um, again, cyber, as as you pointed out, literally goes back to the the piloting of a ship, right? And it, it really implies um, uh, precise control, masterful control, um, and it's really and and really the the. Um, uh, when you go back far enough, the, the Latin translation of that, when you go from Greek to Latin, becomes government, mind control, right? Literally, government to, to control the mind. Absolutely. You're 100% correct on, on point with all of that. Uh, 
what could be said about it is uh, this this is also a science that's been used to hijack uh, systems and take control of them mm -hmm. and they do this through uh, through a mechanism that they call a causal circuit so uh, they create this causal circuit and when they do that they get hijacked the feedback loop and take control of the system and that's what they do with a lot of these different things and I, I cover this ad nauseum in my autism epidemic book because this is exactly what's going on with brain science right now and uh, that's that's how autism the autism epidemic and various other mental disorders and things are all related back to cybernetics because uh, in my estimation uh, I see this as being an engineered condition so yeah. uh, and, and this, this is where this is where it derives from is, is directly from uh, cybernetic studies of uh, different psychological uh, manifestations of things so uh, that's that's what I point out in in the book um, so this is something that's used to hijack different systems and like I said uh, it's it's all just interweaved throughout our society in many different ways uh, basically any of these major systems uh, economic systems or government systems anything of the sort this is all steered and controlled by cybernetics and this is how the powers that be very few people at the top of the power construct power structure control what's going on in the levels below them this is what it is. They use this whole causal circuit kind of idea <clears throat> to implement different things within different uh, sections of the feedback loop and take control of the feedback loop. So yeah. uh, this is the same thing. Like different uh, false flag events and stuff could be promulgated too. This is what this is. This is a causal circuit. They put it in, in place within the system and they already have a computer model of uh, what exactly results could happen from placing this causal circuit in place so then they just watch the feedback loop resolve right. itself yep. and and they could steer it from there by knowing uh, what what results they're going to get from the feedback loop and from there they could uh, tighten their grip of control and you know tinker with the results that they get so that that's what they do and a false flag this is a perfect kind of an example of how a causal circuit could be used to hijack a system. Sure, it's a reflexive feedback loop, right? So, yeah, that's, I find it really fascinating that one, one of the uh, main premise of um, uh, of the cybernetic control, right, is to take a holistic overview uh, with, again, inter interdisciplinary um, uh, addressing of it, and yet um, what the power structure has done is flipped everything over into um, uh, deconstructivism, right? So that um, e even the idea of a university, right? It's supposed to be universal. You're supposed to learn everything. Um, and yet what happens is it becomes compartmentalized. You, um, uh, We become more and more fractured and more and more specialized uh, to where um, somebody in a particular scientific discipline, for example, um, knows only um, their little fractured piece of it and they're completely cut off from uh, understanding. And and I find this is fascinating because this is how really bright people uh, can be uh, very sharp on a particular topic, but not understand basic things, right? Um, like, like you know, uh, for example, the the nonsense that is <clears throat> some of the uh, current cosmology that's taught, right? That it just it, it flies in the face of basic physics. I mean, really, some basic level physics, right? So, um, but but when you break things down and become get into deconstructivism, um, then you silo people, and this sort of um, compartmentalization is how uh, people function and become a part of something that they have no idea what the truth is, right? They're, they can even be involved in these these events um, b without understanding what the whole landscape looks like. I, I just find this fascinating uh, that they flipped everything over on its head. 
They, they use um, holistic control and then flip it over to make everybody compartmentalized. It's it's wicked. You know, before we go any further, it's insidious. I think we should uh, take a look back at the the Macy studies. When I reviewed them again, I was reminded that it wasn't well. What they were calling cybernetics wasn't quite what people picture nowadays, which is probably something along the lines of mechanized prosthetics which isn't really what cybernetics is at all though it's kind of what it's transformed into my is my mic too loud is that what folks are saying in the chat room um i, 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 can, I think we did i mean when you ran off with pluto we were that's exactly what we were talking about is that um it's it, while people often consider cyber um cybernetics they kind of conflate that with having to do with technology that um that's really um <laughs> that's really a conflation of terms into something that's not you know um that really has to do more with the the steering and control mechanisms right right so right right well i i i got you but what i'm saying is back in the in, in the time of the macy's conferences what they were doing was it was a group of different things all being put together and it seems like they were setting up for what was going to come uh things that would later tie into transhumanism and all yes. that it, it was different studies it wasn't just one thing it wasn't just cybernetics it was like this different group of things i think this is really important they were looking to the future and it was it really was kind of like a futurist kind of group of conferences because they lasted for years and it looked like, to me like they were setting things up for what they were predicting was going to come now we're at the point where transhumanism is becoming a real thing, a physical thing. There's yeah. actually mechanical apparatus that can do things that certainly couldn't have existed in 1940. By well, the way, sure. they brought in some of the the biggest thinkers of the time, like you know Margaret Mead and Warren McCullough were two of the the huge uh, people, and they brought in people from all kinds of different disciplines. And I think that's the um, you know when I talk about the kind of holistic overview, right? Is that they're using this interdisciplinary thing where they take all the different aspects and sort of use every angle so it does become uh, ultimately full spectrum programming right and and uh, going back to what uh, Wayne said about the um, you know the the feedback loop right and this is exactly what we talked about um, on the crow triple seven podcast uh, some time ago right with, with the mass surveillance and data scraping is that what they're doing is creating um, uh, a way to uh, predict these things right so they uh, with data being the most valuable thing they gather all this data uh, so that they can uh, accurately predict and then uh, as Wayne pointed out that they do these different events some of them seem really crazy until you understand that what it is is a, um, it, it's a reflexive feedback loop they put out something and to see how people respond and then they um, readjust and do it again by the way uh, before we go any further Matthew Ross for ten dollar ten Kiwi dollars from New Zealand is asking, thank you very much for that, by the way, on the Super Chat, with nanomachines bots, how small are they? For example, AMD, and that's a processor company, if uh, anyone doesn't know, kind of like Intel, uh, are using seven nanometers. Are they made from silicon? As, as far as I know, everybody's still using silicon. They haven't reached, there's a point, and I'm forgetting what the term is, but there is a point where they say they can only make the threading so small where the heat expansion as electrons are going through there no matter how much they cool it they haven't reached that point yet but there is a predicted theoretical limit that silicon chips will get to that they can't make them any smaller therefore any faster that's actually why 
oh, how many years ago now? Probably the early 2000s, they started uh, switching over to multi-cores and things like that so that they could get more processing speed without just making a processor smaller and therefore faster. But yes, to my knowledge, everything is still silicon for the moment. Uh, I don't know if either of you gentlemen have another thing to comment on that. I just just read a report today, um, Xenobots, um, and I think they're down to four nanometers and they're using um, frog stem cells Huh. Uh, as um, uh, it's a biological uh, bot, um, the reconfigurable organism, um, and uh, University, uh, let's see, Tufts, University of Vermont, and uh, Weiss Institute at Harvard um, combined. So they're using biological materials, um, stem cells from uh, a type of frog, and they're called xenobots, um, and they're down to four nanometers, and they can group together, uh, and um, basically it's a they're living machines. They're they're really getting into um, organized, um, um, uh, you know, or, or organic bots now. Uh, so um, African uh, frogs, uh, so Xenopius lavas, and that's where they get the Xenobot, and they're down to four nanometers. So uh, they do have now a, a living machine, at least the basics of it. And so again, I say if they're um, if they're releasing this information, they're two decades further than that minimum. Um, into what's actually happening. So the possibility of this being uh, part of uh, what we see in chemtrails or that sort of stuff is, um, well, it, it's uh, <clears throat> it's concerning. I mean, again, don't, don't want to throw out any fear porn or anything like that, but certainly um, at that scale, four nanometers, man. Uh, just to kind of add to what you guys are saying, too, Baldini, I did see that report, and, uh, you know, I, I reported on that on my files from the Conspiratorium page on Facebook. Uh, but aside from just that, uh, aside from the fact that they could use living proteins and stuff to construct uh, these nanoscale uh, nanobots or nanomachines from the ground up, they've also invented back in 2014, which was released uh, to, to the public, something called a nano FSM or nano finite state machine. And this eliminates the whole problem of uh, Moore's law. So uh, because these things are actually little microprocessors uh, in the nano scale size, which could actually combine their, their computing power together and overcome Moore's law, according to uh, what I've read. So uh, when you look at this, this possibility that you could have this nano-sized computer processor that has the, the communication capacity with other nano-computer processors uh, and they combine together and group together in groups, the computing power could be enormous with enough of these machines. And you combine this now with the ability to combine uh, organic material with it to build these things from the ground up. And you're looking at whole networks that could be created yeah, so that's that's the I think for for me the interesting part. I mean, certainly that <clears throat> I would be I would be interested in if I were doing a research lab, right? Um, but I would also have concern with <clears throat> being on this side of the fence. Um, is that it's a as an organic system that could be introduced inside the body um, to you know I mean they're already talking about the uh, the research is to deliver drugs and assist with environmental remediation and that sort of stuff um, as a biological component. Um, I think that you know if you can get it to cross the blood brain barrier, then you're looking at a whole nother ball of wax there. So um, you, you know it's it's really you know without all I've done really is again read, read the abstract and see what they're um, uh, you know what they're doing. Uh, they're 
the idea at this point is to, uh, you know, use these as uh, to, to create on the fly medicines, right? So that it basically gets introduced into the body, it assesses what's going on and reconfigures itself uh, to, to attack it sort of like a programmable white blood cell, if you will. So, um, again, um, it's just the, um, it's an interesting uh, thing. Again, I, uh, my, my point is not to, to go, oh, God, be terrified. They're, you know, I just j just it's uh, uh, there, there's a lot of technology, uh, especially in the um, organic uh, stuff. And um, um, we have several, um, several firms here in Seattle that are specifically working with um, uh, rewriting genetic codes using CRISPR and other technologies um, uh, that are. Again, pretty interesting, but it but it goes right to the idea of um, transhumanism, right? To uh, to combine uh, organisms uh, or organic uh, life with um, technology, and it does seem like that is a, a really really strong push at this point. Absolutely, uh, that's that's what it's all about. Uh, all this stuff is intended, absolutely one hundred percent, to bring about the transhumanist future. That that's what they're aiming to do with these uh, technologies they introduce them as good medical technologies which you know this this is good I mean if you have on-the-fly medicine that could adapt for an individual person uh, for their individual needs that's great but at the same token there's the uh, potential for misuse for this stuff it's well, a two-sided yeah. coin well I think that's that, that's my, true. my yeah go ahead my major concern is that the people in charge of uh, deciding what the technologies are going to be used for. That's my major concern. Sure, and that's like I said, that's that's always my um, you know kind of my pushback or whatever is that um, most of the things that they present to us uh, are you know presented as something that's desirable, whether that's um, uh, you know m mobile devices or whether it's uh, cryptocurrency and cashless society. Uh, there's a lot of uh, positive pitch to that, right? That you, know, you you know, for example, with uh, cryptocurrency, it can't be ripped off, you can't be stolen. Um, you get biometric uh, identification and nobody can use um, identity theft, that sort of thing. But the, the problem always uh, becomes who's administrating it, right, and, and what they're actually using it for. So in the same, you know, the same ideas that you have these, um, you know, supercomputer you carry around in your pocket. That's super great. You have, all, you know, all the um, compendium of human knowledge right there at your fingertips and then you watch cat videos. No, but but really what it does is it becomes, um, you know, you're, you're, you've paid a couple of hundred bucks, if not up to a thousand dollars to... Um, uh, give information, um, all, all the spy information anybody can ask for. You've got a, a, a camera, a, a microphone. You've got up to three or four uh, high-resolution cameras. Um, every everything you do and think and say um, uh, is now accessible uh, to somebody else, right? So uh, while presented as something that's desirable and that we would want, um, again, there's always the um, there's always the probability and the possibility for misuse. Right, and it's a big possibility, especially when you look at the uh, the history of the misuse of technologies against an unsuspecting public. So, uh, you know, it, if you could let logic and common sense be your guide in, in knowing this, wherever you have centralized power, you have corruption and you have abuse of power. And sure. the more uh, the more power, the more corruption. Like, well, it's like, been said, yeah. The power, old corrupts. Goes. Yep. Power, power corrupts. Yeah, power corrupts and absolute, absolute power, power corrupts, corrupts absolutely. absolutely in stereo. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that those yeah. those adages uh, hold true for a reason because you know humans are um, are fallible and 
that you know e even um, you know money is a, a secondary aspect because the what it really brings is power and people crave um, power more than just about uh, anything and so as you said the the historical evidence shows that um, th those in power there's not just a propensity for or not just a possibility of but um, the categorical um, mon monopolistic uh, use of and uh, what seems to be over the last 200 years uh, from what I can tell is um, the creation Creation of right from so uh, not just uh, taking technologies and repurposing it, but uh, specifically developing uh, technologies for the uh, specific purpose uh, to, to do you know again to in, in the topic of cybernetics really to to hack uh, the human mind uh, and to hack society and to really uh, control uh, society overall like every aspect of it um, and, and then again using these uh, reflexive feedback groups uh, to continue to hone the process until you have uh, what they hope to be, you know, complete, uh, complete control. So why don't we look back on how they really pulled all this stuff together? I, I really love these Macy's conferences. And Wayne, where do you think we went from the 1940s to the 1950s to the 1960s? Obviously, by the 1960s, they started having computers that weren't warehouse size. They were just room sized. And I think that is where a lot of things really could start be computed in a way that, uh, how can we say, like, they could start figuring things out better. People wouldn't have to do things with slide rules as much. But where do you think they started coalescing all this stuff down? Because I, I strongly suspect since the late uh, 1800s that this transhumanist agenda was always there, even if they didn't think of it quite in that exact term. This whole concept of elitism and where they wanted to go with it, it was always a plan. Absolutely, and uh, the whole transhumanist plan derives directly from eugenics. In fact, uh, yeah. you know, a pro-transhumanist uh, YouTube channel that I went to described uh, transhumanism as, uh, I quote, eugenics without coercion, end quote. Well, so so it, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's it's admitted by the the uh, transhumanist uh, proponents themselves this is tied directly to eugenics this is where this comes from so uh it, yeah you could trace those eugenic ideas back to the 1800s uh, but bring them forward about 100 years uh, a lot of uh, cybernetic principles really came into full term uh in the 1980s this is when artificial intelligence uh started to take off more so because uh, the computing power just really wasn't there up until that point and then uh, when it did hit that point it was just a matter of hitting a couple key goals with the artificial intelligence and they had achieved many of those goals by the 1980s and beyond that the computing power just increased exponentially from that point on so uh, now we're looking at they're trying to create what they call a general artificial intelligence and uh, this is where they're still running into problems because uh, the neural networks and stuff that they've created really haven't changed much since the 1940s and, and this is admitted all throughout artificial intelligence studies so what they're trying to do is they're trying to find new models to model these artificial intelligence uh, machines from and Wayne we so, should probably I mean, mention they, it's it's because of the bina binary limitation right yeah, that was one of the reasons is because of the binary limitation. Uh, the other one was the computing power that they had, the processing power at the time. But uh, like I said, it really came into its own in the 1980s. And uh, since then, it's really grown exponentially. But mm -hmm. uh, 
if we look at Go ahead. specifically to to your question, um, Jason, on um, uh, the the process of what happened in those early um, those early Macy's conferences, right? So, I just, if you take a look at some of the sampling of the things that um, they admitted to talking about, because there were numerous um, invitation only um, conferences uh, as little subgroups that took took place there um, that they weren't uh, openly discussing. But if you look at some of these uh, topics and just see the direction that it goes, I think um, the rational mind can kind of get an idea of what they're where they're headed. So, if you go to, back to 1946, they're looking at again. Some self-regulating intelligible mechanisms, and again, that's mechanisms with a specific end goal in mind, um, simulated neural networks, anthropology, and how computers might learn how to learn. Um, this is all, again, the basis of, of AI. Objective perfection, uh, perceptions and feedback mechanisms, perceptual differences due to brain damage, um, and compulsive repetitive behavior. 1946, uh, again, teleological mechani- uh, mechanisms in society, and then concepts from Gestalt uh, psychology. In 1947, child psychology made up a huge portion of it. So again, looks like they're going back to the the very basics. 1947, um, analog versus digital approaches to mm. psychological models. Um, 1948, the formation of I in language. How um, um, enagrams became more. Um, uh, we began using I more and more and more. It became more me centric. In 1949, looking at um, neurons and their connections, uh, and then uh, memory, um, and then they're looking to put together physics and psychology 1950 again analog versus digital interpretations of the mind they're going back there uh, language symbols and neurosis um, intelligibility and speech communications 1951 information as a semantic uh, decision theory uh, feed forward um, small group dynamics um, uh, behavior versus true uh, communication type of language needed to analyze language 1952 um, the relation of cybernetics uh, at the micro level to biochemical and cellular processes complexity of organisms uh, humor communication and paradox uh, and you will see again almost a direct line here between seeing uh, humor being used as a as a means of kind of weaponized like um, uh, where they introduce um, revelation of the method through um, humor uh, 1953 mm-hmm. um, studies on the activity of the brain, semantic information and its measures, meaning and language, um, and again these are um, uh, very corollary with when they start looking at the language. This is again right about the time when Marshall McLuhan talks about um, the the change in language because here you have uh, a whole um, generation of people now who have uh, at this point the they're looking at the difference between those who grew up before radio and after radio in terms of when they became um, literate, right? So that uh, the difference. In the, in the 1950s, you have people that grew up on radio. Prior to that, they grew up uh, w- without it, right? And then so once you get past the 50s, now you have a whole new generation that's growing up in another electronic media of television. So um, if you look at these things in corollary with what's happening in other areas, uh, I think you can draw some pretty direct lines to um, everything that they talked about became instantiated within very short period of time uh, through through electronic media and um, and society. Mountain Smithy for 555. Thank you for the uh, super chat. The divine right of kings is a combination of the third and fourth major tenets of Satanism, social Darwinism, Darwinism plus eugenics. I, uh, the definitions, I assume that's where the quote comes from. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, you should put in the chat what, what that is and where that comes from. Wayne, does that sound familiar or, or Baldini, either of you? I think I've heard of something similar to that before, but I'm not familiar with the source. So, uh, yeah, if the uh, well, look if at they the citation. Yeah, I'll look at the yeah, citation of the, the of the definitions. I, I 
you know, I understand um, social Darwinism and, and eugenics. Um, you know, and eugenics was the the foundation of. Um, I mean, it was a highly uh, regarded. Um, Science. I mean, if you want to call it that, uh, you know, from the 1920s to the 19 late 1930s and early 1940s until it became part of the central tenets of the Nazi, um, uh, the Nazi uh, philosophy and epistemology. And so um, then, then it, you know, kind of became looked down on. But it would really, if you look look at it closely, uh, Margaret Sanger, who founded uh, what is now Planned Parenthood, uh, that was her primary goal was eugenics, right? So, um, <clears throat> gee, what a shocker! I don't know, right? <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Uh, I don't know. But just to add to what uh, you were saying before, uh, all those studies and stuff you cited fell under the auspices of something called the Bateson Project within the cybernetics mu movement. And uh, this is something I write about in my autism epidemic book because this actually was looking at uh, schizophrenic patients. And uh, as a subcategorization of that, at that point, up until uh, sometime in the 1960s, autism was generally diagnosed as a form of schizophrenia or as like a precursor to schizophrenia in children. So uh, it hadn't really caught on as a popular diagnosis as of that point. But this is what uh, the Bateson Project was studying, is many of these uh, different things and how they relate to biology and physiology and stuff along those lines. So this is directly uh, the correlation of where a lot of this stuff comes from. And uh, for anybody who's not familiar, uh, the gentleman in charge of the Bateson Project, his name was Gregory Bateson, and this was Margaret Mead's husband. So a lot of these people, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they they kind of exchanged a, a whole lot of information. And yeah, they as were in the same circles. Said, yeah, many, right, and many of their their studies and stuff were by invitation only, and many of their conferences and stuff they had. So it, it's one of those things where much of the data never really got out for public consumption. With right. In, fa stuff. in fact, uh, so in 1950, guys, hang they... tight a second. Uh, we're at nine o'clock, and I believe we're going to be saying goodbye to the Fringe FM because they're only playing our first hour. So, thank you so much, Joe, who runs the Fringe FM, and we'll see you guys next week. All right, carry on. Awesome at the Fringe. Yeah, so I was just going to mention that they, um, in 1954, they they um, op they opened it up and um, expanded a little bit into uh, neuropharmacological studies, right? And then um, directly, even uh, even the wiki entry, uh, if you go back and look at the Macy's um, stuff, even the wiki entry uh, notes that um, several of those participants went on um, to uh, to take part in the CIA's uh, MK Ultra program and psychological manipulation using LSD. So um, <laughs> it's it's all tied together there is no really separation of it and again I think if you um, look at it really closely you see these same players over and over um, that show up in the same places um, you know uh, William Borberg uh, Margaret Mead um, uh, you know uh, Carl Pfeiffer there's a lot of these same guys um, uh, Lorenz they're all kind of uh, running in the same groups right and so uh, you'll see them um, in these conferences as um, uh, you know, lauded research scientists, but at the same time working for the CIA and, and other, um, uh, other you know, what we would now have DARPA. They didn't have it then, but um, the same people, right? Uh, and, and it seems that, again, they're taking um, the direct result of these conferences and putting them into action. Right, and that, that's the whole thing with cybernetics is uh, not only do they study how to control systems, they find ways to put it into action. And that's uh, 
what what it's all about when it comes down to it. So most of your big players in the science and academic community, the ones that are actually making impacts on society as a whole, are largely invested in cybernetic studies. And this is kind of a far cry from where we are uh, as the general public, because if you look at how our school system operates, our subjects are broken up, you know, our schooling is broken up into all these different subjects little 40-minute classes where you get a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and none of these things ever overlap or cross. So this kind of keeps, this keeps your attention span short, first of all, and doesn't allow you to connect the dots where you don't connect to it to and see the whole system perspective. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was saying earlier about deconstructionism. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying earlier about deconstructionism. They've taken it and uh, used deconstructionism to to silo everything, right? And so um, there's there's no interdisciplinary uh, study whatsoever. And so um, it's it's sort of like they they intentionally uh, killed off the idea of the polymath, right? So that uh, because once you begin to learn interdisciplinary skills, um, to, to, which to me is one of the most powerful things, you begin to see all sorts of um, things pop up over and over, right? You, be, you begin to see um, uh, universal mathematical constants that show up. You begin to see things like Fibonacci sequence. You begin to see um, uh, ratios, right? Like uh, phi and uh, golden ratio uh, everywhere. And, and when you begin to put those things together, then um, once they feed you a line or a narrative that doesn't match that and doesn't go along with what you see in the natural natural world you can call poppycock <laughs> right it, it just does not compute and and so um yeah you're you're spot on there Wayne is that they have taken um the idea and and used it in education of breaking it down and making it um specialized in in every class that there's no overlap whatsoever this is also the primary purpose why uh, people working on a lot of these major projects and stuff like that and especially within uh, the uh, the special access programs projects this is why it's all compartmentalized. Need to know. So, yep. This is how they do everything. Need to know. Let's let's address this, man, because this is really important. P- people always say they couldn't keep it quiet. They don't have to keep anything quiet. It doesn't even matter what we're talking about. The way they keep things quiet is by splitting things up between however many parties they need to. Like Absolutely. The, the moon landing is always the the, the great example. They could have faked the moon landings. I, I can't prove it 100% that they were faked, but I think that they were not as uh, shown to us. And how? Because they had it split up between 20,000 companies. Yep, 400,000 people. And that's that's one insane. Of their <laughs> yeah, that's one of the excuses that they make, right, is that, well, 400,000 people couldn't possibly involve, uh, be involved in a cover-up. Yeah, but every one of them made a screw or a nut or a bolt. So they absolutely made that thing, um, but they didn't have any idea how it got used and where it got purposed. Um, no one was there, uh, right? It, it, no one would have to be there to put the whole thing together. Um, so you did your job. You were proud of it, um, and, and you were a part of something that was supposed to have been the, the greatest achievement in human history. Uh, so, so of course, you, you, you know, anybody uh, even suggested that it wasn't real, you go, absolutely, I, I worked for four years on, on developing a, a zipper, right, uh, for, for the spacesuit. Uh, of course, you know they wouldn't have wasted that money. Are you are you kidding? They could all make one, right? That, that money is is not the object right here. It's it's control of the mind, and here we get back to, uh, you know, um, to to the whole, um, you know, cyber thing to begin with. It is control of the mind. It is uh, absolute uh, controlling of the narrative from the top down. It's a systems control with a feedback loop, and that's what we see in society. All across society, too. I mean, it, it's everything. It's even our whole social structure. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. information science, you name it. That's, that's how it all works. And it's important that people realize this. 
people are touched by cybernetics every day, whether they realize it or not, because this this is the primary control science. Like this is what it's about. They, the powers that be would prefer people be ignorant of this. So uh, you know, if you have um, an interdisciplinary view of things and and can look at things from from different perspectives and different uh, you know specialties per se then you could view the world completely differently than, like, say, if you're uh, you're just one an expert in one thing, okay? Uh, this is how something like the space program does work. You have guys that work on rockets, like Werner Von Braun. The rockets go up. Who cares where they come down? That's not my Forget department, about it. says <laughs> Werner Von Braun. So right. when you look at it from that perspective, it, it's like... It's compartmentalized. When when they set you forth into a specialty like that, and this is a lot of what goes on with our colleges and, and universities, you pick a specialty, and this is what you're going to learn, and this is all you're going to do. To the exclusion of everything else, yeah. And the only That's way to... the whole problem. Right. And Just about, and, and they instill arrogance in people with these degrees, too. And I'm not trying to put anybody down who's got a college degree. My life probably would have been a lot easier... Uh, before now, if I had gone to school and finished, I went to, to Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania for psychology, and it just wasn't for me, and I was kind of a douchebag when I was a teenager. And <laughs> no. I just didn't care, you know? I mean, and, and I'm man enough to admit it now that I'm 46, but, you know, they they instill in it, especially the higher degrees, the, the master's degrees, and especially anyone with a PhD, they give you yep. this... It's almost like here's your degree and here's your attitude problem to go along with it. Here, put sure, your white lab coat on and you know better than everyone else now. And that is just the way it is. respected authority, right? And so that no one can now challenge your view. And the only thing that you're doing is parroting what was uh, given to you. Parroting, so you that's never, it. You just nailed right, it. You, exactly. So you never really did any, any thinking or um, uh, research yourself into the nature of it. What you did was learn somebody else's work, right? So uh, and, and just learn the the party line. And and this is um, you know exactly what we're uh, talking about this this whole thing, right? And why I always say that uh, the higher the education, the deeper the indoctrination, because what they what is natural for the human is to want to seek approval uh, from those who are important to you, right? So it's not what I think, it's not what you think, it's what I think you think. So um, what we do is we put ourselves in a position to seek approval from somebody who basically lords it over us and in the academic community that is um, exactly what happens and it's the whole point of getting a PhD is that you have your advisor and you basically have to you know if you excuse the expression you got to blow them uh, to, to get um, <laughs> you get your paper right so then publish or die and you have to get peer-reviewed so um, th the only way to get in is to basically network and uh, get you know get your paper approved by everybody else and all you're doing is repeating somebody else's stuff and and then you get the big slap on the back, and now you're a respected leader of the community. And then anybody else who comes and challenges that, you're gonna you're gonna shoot them down because it's um, it, it threatens your um, your position. And so it's a built-in network. It's a it's a built-in um, basically psychological prison of thinking uh, to not let anybody get outside the beaten path. And we see it over and over again in almost every scientific discipline, um, especially like geology and uh, archaeology, where things uh, challenge the mainstream narrative and people who are unfortunate enough to be honest and point out things like they're finding soft tissue and dinosaur bones or they point out that this building um, could not have been built in that way during that time period um, they get kicked out right away right and just to add a fine point to what what you're saying 
about all this is the uh, University and Systems of Academia. They actually have, have called tenure that they lord over these uh, other oh, absolutely. educated people with. Uh, so this this is the thing. They could pull the rug right out from you. You take away your tent if you don't throw the party line. And that's kind of why these people do what they do. Well, you know, you went to school, you learned this, you, you repeated what this one said, and you, you pushed this whole agenda and this whole thing forward. And uh, now this is what we want you to say, and this is the research we want you to do. So, you know, if you don't do this, then you're not going to continue to enjoy the benefits of your tenure. Sure, and, and it's part uh, and parcel of the know, hiring and promotion practices well right so you're only going to hire those absolutely who are willing to toe the party line and you're only going to promote those who are willing to do that and if you get hired um it, it doesn't take you very long before you see um the, the way the cards are, are dealt right if you you, you got to be able to be you know to, to agree with it to get a promotion and of course you want to do that to further your career path and so this same thing is true in in not just academia but for example journalism and media right they they hire based on uh, you know not just skill and um aptitude but attitude right what what's your uh, political ideology um, and if you have the wrong political ideology you're not going to get a job uh, and then therefore um, they according to the to the journalists they don't think they have a slant they're just to them you know they're telling their truth they're speaking their truth um, and, and telling you know telling you what they think is important uh, because it, it bears the slant that their masters want you know this is how the they've got all the craziness scientific circles Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, we have a lag here. That's how they got all the craziness going on in the colleges and even in Hollywood. All the crazy leftist SJW agenda, all this insane nonsense. They they get the people they want in charge in any of these whatever, whatever organization, and then they will only allow their type, whatever that happens to be, Absolutely. in. And the problem is with universities, right. this is now spreading down to the next generation and then the next generation after that. And now you're at the point now where I, I'm very good friends with somebody who is a doctoral professor at a major university. And I have heard some very interesting things about how things really go on. And ju just to be amusing, he has a sign on his office door that says, belief is the enemy of knowing. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wayne, go ahead, carry on. <laughs> no, that's, well, anyway, that's, what that's I was going to say, what I was going to say is that uh, these are the people that do the all-important peer review in academia and science, too. And the ones that are going to toe the party line. So if they see something that doesn't uh, meet the narrative that they've been in impounded in their brain and indoctrinated with as to being what they're, the science that they're supposed to be pushing... They're they're going to turn it down for the peer review, so or or you know poo poo it in the peer review because yep. that's what they do. These are this is how the control mechanism works. This is how you get the people in place, you know, via things like tenure and and, and such things like that. These different social statuses, uh, you put these people in these these positions of of power. And uh, they know, they don't have to really be told at that point, they know intrinsically what's expected of them. So they'll perform that way because they don't want to lose their position. So and, and they will go ahead. 
Yeah, and for many of them, it becomes a, a point of pride, a matter of pride, right? So it's not even, um, it's there's no resistance at all. They, it, they uh, jump on board and it becomes uh, a matter of um, desire, right? So th this matches their ideology uh, that they want to further um, uh, push these ideas and agendas. And I see this even in elementary education uh, today is that uh, many of them are, you know, as you want to say SJWs or whatever, they have their, their um, ideologues, right? And they're pushing... Uh, uh, an agenda uh, far beyond just education, but really um, they be they believe in a, in a kind of indoctrination, uh, but but it's something that they believe in. They're true believers, uh, right? So uh, it's a it's a very interesting um, uh, world out there. That's that's to be sure. By the way, we should probably take a moment to mention that a lot of these scientific studies that are quote unquote peer reviewed are now trying to be duplicated by other laboratories, and they're not able to do it. So let's just be blunt here, a lot of what's being put out, or at least some of what's being put out, is absolute bullshit. And it's uh, being held up as absolute of, science. You know, the <laughs> facts. Science, I factual facts. A lot of it. Uh, I get a fine, I, if I could uh, bring it up here, but I, drawing from memory, uh, there was a 20-year longitudinal study between the, the 1990s and early 2010s um, that uh, a group of researchers were doing a longitudinal study about peer-reviewed scientific papers published in journals, and they found um, initially they found more than 50%, and then once they got done, it was upwards of more than 90% uh, of published papers were absolute poppycock. And then uh, I, I think it made the news recently as a kind of an offshoot of that um, data set. Uh, they basically just created bullshit, poppycock, complete <laughs> nonsense papers and got them peer-reviewed and published uh, because they had buzzwords in it uh, that people wanted to hear. And this goes back to what I say all the time about uh, what um, education and academia, higher education and academia does, which is to um, begin to use certain um, buzzwords and jargon uh, that has the specific purpose of pushing people out to make them think like they're too dumb to, to understand it, uh, when really um, they're, they're just using, you know, multisyllabic uh, you know all these you know 50 cent words right to express things that would, would actually be better expressed in a more direct way um, and, and really all it does is make it a confusing thing until ultimately it's bullshit right so anyway they, yeah they did research it was more than 90 percent of uh, these papers uh, these abstracts that were published was nonsense junk science couldn't be duplicated it was bullshit um, and and they're just getting papers published because that's what they have to do publish or die um, it, it is uh, uh, appalling um, that uh, this is what science quote unquote has become it's it's pseudoscience from the top down and this is a perfect example right. of how and having the right people in the right places can get you the results you want from the top down yeah, absolutely. Right. another thing to keep in mind with this is this is exactly the same way vaccine studies are done and yep. this is something <laughs> that really frosts me. And I've looked at literally dozens upon dozens of vaccine studies, and I could show you where the data is manipulated to show the results that they want and, you know, where they're just outright lying and deleting data and things like that. I could uh, it just it drives me nuts because uh, anybody who looks at uh, these vaccine studies or whatever, I'll tell you what they're going to do. First thing, if you mention to a doctor about vaccines or whatever, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to pull up a, a cherry-picked vaccine study that they, they look for that, that says vaccines are safe and effective. 
Okay, so they'll pull up this vaccine study and they'll do two things. They'll first they'll read the abstract and then they'll go down to the conclusion section and read where, you know, the data shows that this is totally safe. And there was no um, marked difference between uh, the control group and the study group and this and that and the other thing. And and, you know, it's 100 percent safe. Go ahead and, and push this thing. So that's basically what they'll do. They'll read the abstract, which says this is what we looked for. And uh, they'll go down to the conclusion and read the conclusion, which almost 99.9% of the time will say that uh, this this uh, vaccine is, is safe and worked effectively and uh, didn't have any major problems or anything uh, compared to it. And any uh, kinds of reactions or anything to it weren't, couldn't really be uh, correlated directly to the vaccine because there wasn't enough data points to show that that's the, the case and this and that. But uh, if you actually go through and read the whole study of how these things are done, it, it gets pretty shocking once you get to know how to read through the jargon and the buzzwords, like you say, Baldini. Yeah, so, I, think, uh, I think you can prove that's, that's much, the thing that's very telling. I think you can pretty much prove that just about 100% uh, of research studies, uh, especially in um, pharmacological studies, um, uh, they come out with the um, results that whoever pays for the study wants. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, you're not going to give them, uh, you know, negative results when they're paying for the study. And so they're really, you can just say, follow the money trail. Uh, and you just follow the money and you're going to see um, who, who wants what. I mean, uh, we have clear evidence, of course, that the big tobacco um, showed no correlation <laughs> between between smoking and any sort of lung disease. For COPD, decades. Emphysema for decades. Right. And um, even there were you know, number one brand supported by doctors. <laughs> Lucky strikes. There were actual studies. There were actual studies cited by the tobacco companies that smoking was actually good for you. I kid you Good not. for your throat. They, they had shown so that, that you conferred a, a certain specific resistance to, uh, what was it? It was, was some kind of lung disease or something. If, if you smoked, you, well, you yeah, early, uh, were early less on. likely to contract a certain lung disease. Sure, yeah, in the late, they in the late 1800s. Like, and that just goes to show this is how this works. Yeah, in the late 1800s, um, one of the treatments for um, tuberculosis was tobacco, smoking tobacco. Start smoking a pipe or a cigar. Um, you know, this before they had cigarettes, uh, which came along in World War One. But uh, smoking a pipe or tobacco was considered uh, a treatment uh, for tuberculosis. So good. it's it's funny, isn't it? It's. <laughs> But, yeah, it's universally accepted at this point, though, that smoking is bad for you and causes cancer and this and that. But in, in the same token, all right, you're inhaling this into your lungs, but uh, some of these same carcinogens that are in uh, cigarettes are also in vaccines. And you're directly injecting these into yourself, but this is 100% safe, right? right. I mean, because how, how we does said that so. work? Because your doctor right. said so, right? In fact, he prescribed it. I have it. the white lab coat, and I say so. Sure, he prescribed it. In fact, um, you know, this is kind of a funny story is that there's a you can still find these um, from time to time uh, medical kits where they would literally give you a, a tobacco smoke enema, and that's where the expression "you're blowing smoke up my ass" comes from. Because it was for I don't know three or four decades uh, that was a, a you know a considered um, a medical solution uh, to a number of different ailments. Um, you know, it's to give you a, a tobacco smoke enema. So literally blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can Google it. You, I mean, it's a, it was a thing. It's I'm, I'm not making it up. It's, oh, no, no. It's I, 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 I'm believing. <laughs> yes. So, um, so are you saying blowing smoke up someone's ass is something that's helpful? 
<laughs> well, they, they did uh, for a long time. I mean, uh, if you look at some of the some some of the 19th century medical practices, it was hilarious, right? You get the, uh, the women would get the vapors, uh, right, and uh, female hysteria, and then they'd have to go to their doctor to um, get a hmm, hmm, release that uh, female hysteria, which was uh, genital masturbation, basically. And then um, some doctors got tired of doing that, and uh, presumably the some of the uh, hygiene wasn't uh, the best, and so um, they—that's where they invented a, an electrical um, uh, stimulant, and that was the uh, the birth of the uh, vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, women, you you have uh, the medical uh, institution to thank for um, for for those lonely nights. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's the that that's the uh, that's the source of um, of the personal um, uh, personal massage. <clears throat> yeah. So Wayne, uh, you wanted to do the cybernetics topic. What else did you want to discuss as far as, uh, well, this is stuff that you brought up in, in your books, of course, but I'm assuming that you've come across new information since you're always doing that. And uh, what is it that you wanted to get across to folks uh, since we're already, uh, we've only got 40 minutes left. Uh, I think the important things to cover here are just how much cybernetics is used within uh, all these major control systems from the top down uh, within, within our world. Uh, that's the important thing to realize. I, I just like to point out to people cybernetics is more than just robotics or computers or AI, those kind of things. It's, it's everywhere. It's used yeah. all the time in all different facets of society. And uh, computers and artificial intelligence are a big growing trend along with that. Uh, that's why you know, it's important to point these things out because we do live in the age of big data and your data is being harvested all over the place and used to feed into this cybernetic control system. And this is ultimately what the plan is. They want to build a uh, massive uh, artificially intelligence controlled control grid to put it in no uncertain terms. This uh, is what it's about. They want control of every aspect of society from cradle to grave. Mm -hmm. I think I could go even a step further and just kind of springboard off that and, and say the, the evidence is uh, compelling. I mean, again, I think if you just um, do some background research yourself and, you know, as most of us would say, don't trust me, just go, go look at the data, right? Is that um, what we can say, I think it, it's a pretty easy leap of logic uh, to see that what you see around you in terms of society and um, the control mechanisms around you is is that it is planned out. It's been very carefully planned out over really generations. This is not an accident. Um, what, what you see in terms of, for example, um, uh, pol the political mayhem, what I call theater of the macabre, it's it's just um, it's nonsense, right? It's, it's a puppet show. It's it's no more than um, wrestling. And with apologies to you know those who are wrestling fans, but at least you guys know that it's a uh, that, that's a show, right? Um, Sports entertainment. Is sports entertainment and most people consider politics as a real thing and they're, they're really ready to go to fisticuffs uh, over um, ideological things which are really nonsense and if you really look closely um, the, the the 
machinations haven't changed um, for over several lifetimes. The same things happen, and and yet they continue to blame each other. And, and I've often said, you know, it seems like the um, the primary platform of both political parties is to prove the other unfit to hold office. And in that respect, they're both spectacularly accurate. Um, the, the, these, uh, but when you look around you, it's the entire society has been very carefully um, controlled, uh, and, and as Wayne says, from cradle to the grave, uh, from the, the now before you can even speak they're showing you teletypes tv shows and they're putting a, a device in your hand right to, to show you you know baby einstein and that sort of stuff and they're literally uh trying to hijack the mind and program on uh, children from the very beginning and in every aspect of society from uh from music to to entertainment to the news um at, at, at every level um from from education at, at just again at every level this is very carefully controlled and if again you go back and and take a look yourself at the at these these macy conferences and what they were looking at and then take a look at the timelines of what happened thereafter and you can see a direct correlation and timeline uh, between the things that they were studying how do we control because again if you look at cybernetics as a means of very carefully controlling a process uh, with a feedback loop and then seeing what happens so then um, they're talking about a thing and then that something happens and then there's a feedback loop and they talk about it again and they they refine the process so we have been living in a petri dish of sociological control since before we were born um, and again this is um, it's not to scary it's to give you some understanding um, that um, you know it's not this is not accidental what what's going on around you is not an accident and as Wayne points out it is very carefully planned uh, to take the next step into this uh, transhumanism agenda it is an agenda it, there's no question about it well we can absolutely even... it's an agenda we can take the time to uh, show how okay so we, we we can probably take the late 1800s as really the start of the push or or how they were figuring out how to target things and get it instituted through society so what did we have first let's say you probably eugenics would be the earliest thing right they started uh, i'd go back even further than that with um psychology and um mesmerism and hypnotism okay good point I mean, that, that's some of the earliest efforts into mind control. I think um, eugenics comes along later in the late 1800s, early 1900s um, as uh, a means of biological um, control. Uh, but before that, um, control of the mind was a big one. I mean, you go, go back and look at mesmerism. That's a, uh, they started very early with that. Okay, so that would be like um, mid-1800s. Eugenics up. could actually be – sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you and I have a terrible lag, Wayne. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say eugenics actually uh, has its origins back in ancient Greece, believe it or not. Yep. Uh, so uh, there were a lot of platonic ideas put forward uh, echoing the whole eugenics idea. It wasn't called that, of course, back then, but uh, this is where eugenics drew much of its roots from. So, I mean, you're talking a lot of these things, this whole uh, idea of controlling society has gone back for as long as we we can record as long history. as there's written history sure yeah right so i mean you're looking at things like uh uh even the uh hashashim uh yep. the, these would be what we know as the assassins now uh, they mastered a lot of different mind control techniques uh this this was uh this is something that's kind of well documented but uh 
that you're going back to what the 11th century with that I'm, I'm thinking so i mean you could trace this stuff as far back as we do have historical accounts of it absolutely this, and then this you can is look where at every aspect of it and you can go to the jesuits for example starting about 1540 which took over um, the educational process and much of science um, and and they had a very specific very scripted way of, of total control over those aspects in, in western europe so yes it's um yeah as far as as far as i can tell it's all of written history everybody um at least in uh, micro societies, right in each kingdom, if you want to call that, um, they had their own means and methods of control. Whether uh, and they use different uh, forms, whether that's the boot on the head uh, or, or um, the book to the head. Boot to the head. But to put it in more modern terms, <laughs> I remember that. To put it in more modern terms, where where would we say? So so the elitists got together, started doing these little think tank groups and all their little sitting around mm -hmm. smoking cigars and drinking expensive brandy, and yeah. started pushing yes, and started pushing the 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 elitist agenda with, with eugenics because they have a superior complex, and then so so we have that in the twenties and thirties. That concept gets really pushed heavily, even in the United States. And I, hopefully a lot of people who listen to what we do are familiar with this. But those concepts were huge in many states sure. in the United States. Well, until add into it the Tavistock Institute, the Frankfurter Institute, um, Rand Corporation, these other think tanks um, that really pushed um, sociological control. Well, right, and those things all started coming through. Uh, it was really all the build-up to World War II, which seemed to be an, an oddball takeover of sorts that the bankers, of course, funded both mm -hmm. sides. And But then after that, the whole eugenics thing started becoming uh, looked down upon because of what certain German people did. So then we, we changed that to genetics. But at this point, we started having more advanced more advances in things like real computers that started coming out in, in the mid-1940s and even helped with code breaking and things like that in World War II. And yeah. this is all mainstream stuff. This isn't even conspiracy sure. stuff. Well, none of, so, none of what we're saying is conspiracy stuff. I mean, we're just connecting the dots. I don't think we touched on anything that's actually a conspiracy tonight other than the idea that no. um, it, it's carefully controlled. I mean, it's, it's documented. It, it just, again, it's, it's not well publicized. They don't want you to know it. <laughs> Well, right. Yeah, they're, oh, but they're, not gonna, they're not going to give you the education the you, you need to overthrow them. <laughs> Don't be silly. But where would you guys say <laughs> it went on from there? And I will. Uh, I got to step away for two seconds here, but I'll be able to hear you. Uh, Wayne, Wayne, you go. Okay, so we're we're now at um, the, you know. Come, well, I think. Well, now we're coming back to the beginning, right? Where we started is that now we're in World War II, and this is right about the, the same time as the Macy uh, conferences took place. Um, you know, the, this was um, side by side with um, uh, a number of guys getting together in Mexico City, right? Because um, they were, um, it was a. Um, uh, non-combatant country, right? So it was neutral territory, and so you were having um, many of the Americans, the English, and the Germans, and, and the Japanese all working together uh, in Mexico City uh, during World War II because it was a non-combatant, neutral country. Right, and I think that was 1942 yep, when, when that was going on, yep. if I remember correctly. That's correct. But yeah, that's that is that's that's absolutely on point. Uh, this is what was going on. I mean, you know, this is where cybernetics arose from is is with these uh, initial meetings in 1942 and uh, these interdisciplinary groups that met they hit it off so well 
that they decided after the war was over they would meet back again and have these conferences, which the Macy Foundation got involved with, and the Rockefeller Foundation too. Don't forget Absolutely. that. Rockefeller's got their fingerprints all over everything, and you know they got their monies involved too to make this happen in 1946 after the war was over. Well, hang on, let's step back for a so moment there. Let's let's talk about what the Rockefellers did and how they got their paws and stuff. They got their hands in not because of the oil money that they had. They started taking over that infrastructure, but from there they got control of the medical schools and medical, a lot of the yeah. colleges and universities from because. As a result of that really sure, important to know they basically outlawed poo-pooed i mean and pushed out again here's this whole peer-reviewed thing um all the what we would call now homeopathy and natural medicine which had been uh, used for you know all of the history of mankind um you know in favor of um allopathic medicine and take a drug right because uh, many of the drugs are made from chemical compounds that are petroleum based um, petroleum based and of course uh, where do you get the petroleum from the rockefeller oil company um so that you know they got it coming and going and um they're going to make you sick by um starting up electromagnetic uh, radiation in terms of radio because hey you, you need radio right it's a uh, you, you want to be entertained uh and so we also need these power lines high power lines and so we're going to flood you with electromagnetic radiation soup um to give you cancer uh oh and then hey we've got a cure for cancer here's a drug um so yeah they, they get you coming and going um the rock Rockefeller Foundation um, basically killed um, real medicine, um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, allopathic, I mean, certainly there's surgical advances nowadays, but uh, there's certainly, um, and they're fairly open about it these days, that, um, you know, they're not looking for cures, uh, they're looking for medicines. They're looking for treatments. Yes, treatments. Treatments. And long term. Yeah, you know, no cure. Yep, well, uh, you, you know what they always say. It, it's not profitable to cure someone, it's, but it is profitable to make them a customer for life with Absolutely. one and or many, more than likely, prescriptions. And I, I've seen that even with stuff that, that I, I've done. Like I'm actually extremely healthy. And on the rare occasion I got to go in to, to have something checked out, they, they always write multiple pres- prescriptions for things. So – you know, they, they, that's just the way it is. And doctors are a perfect example of compartmentalization. Absolutely. They don't do Absolutely. anything that's outside of most of them anyway. Don't do anything outside of what their manuals are, are telling them to do. And God forbid you try and talk to them about anything. And again, yeah. that's not everybody. You're going to yeah. have your open-minded ones. But for the most part, I would say, and, uh, I don't know, 75% and up, if I had to take a guess, are, are yeah. definitely just by the book and they don't care about anything else. When there are many of them are are a great example of of what you mentioned earlier of as uh, again the this um, uh, uh, egocentricism that comes along with having your card stamped as as being you know um, uh, an academic or a doctor you know of of whatever um, but uh, medical doctors certainly um, because they're the power to you know power of life and death um, they get a kind of a god complex in addition to um, you you know you can't tell me what to do they're not going to take any suggestions I'm the doctor um, and um, you know again there's the there's the power and control and they're certainly not going to go outside that. Could I tell you a personal story that kind of relates exactly to what you're saying about this? Absolutely not. I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> go, go ahead. Well, anyway, a couple of years ago, uh, my son uh, had a reaction to a vaccine. Another one. Okay. This is not the, the one that, that uh, um, you know, he, he that gave him uh, what led what I believe is what led to his diagnosis of autism. But uh, he had a vaccine that uh, 
at the po- at point, uh, my wife wasn't totally on board yet with going no vaccines for any of them. But this is the one that changed her mind once she saw what this did. So he had a vaccine, and uh, he developed something called six nerve palsy. So uh, his eyes one day, you know, after he had the vaccine, uh, his his eyes started crossing in school, and uh, the teacher got very concerned. Which, which is normal because this could be a sign of neurological damage or something or, or something along those lines. So at the time, uh, one of my best friends was actually our doctor. He, you know, he still lived here, but he has since moved away uh, from here. So he's no longer our, our family doctor. So now I avoid the doctors like a plague. But <laughs> anyway, uh, and he is an excellent doctor. But uh, so I took my son to see him uh, with what was going on with this. And he was looking at him and looked in the eyes and stuff, and uh, the very first question he asked is, did he have any vaccines recently? Huh. And I said, yes. I said, yes. He he had this, uh, I think it was a polio vaccine that was kind of mandated by the school. Uh, it was a different one. It wasn't like the oral one. Um, it was like a, an injection that they just mandated that they wanted them to have. And I said, yes, he just had this polio vaccine. And then he looks at me dead in the eye and says, no, nah, it couldn't be that. And, and then no. he continues oh, to you examine him. No, I'm not kidding you. And this guy has been one of my best friends since high school. Um, and mm-hmm. this is the, the extent of the programming. Like the very first thing he asked me, because I guess, you know, they're, they're, they have to ask because it's always a possible, it's in their mind, they're taught. It's a possible side effect from a vaccine, but, uh, but it chances are it's not. Yeah, but it couldn't right. be that. And that they're safe the and effective. But this just, stunned, the, the, this just stunned me. This is the extent of the programming that they go through with this stuff. This just stunned me. But it came back, and eventually after we took my son to the specialist, he had concurred that it had to be the vaccine that caused this problem. Now, it has <laughs> since corrected itself. And this is actually something that's that's a relatively common thing, believe it or not, as a vaccine reaction. It's called six nerve palsy, and it'll cause the the eye muscles to uh, not function properly. And sometimes it requires corrective surgery. Most of the time, it will resolve itself. But uh, it, what this actually does is this this causes nerve damage. It actually causes nerve damage. Mm-hmm. So after this had happened, then my wife started listening wholeheartedly to what I had to say about the vaccines. And now we've gone completely no vaccines for our kids. So uh, it, it's it's one of those things where you, you see it and it's just stunning. It's stunning that first thing the doctor thinks to ask, did he have any vaccines recently? And you'll notice a lot of these medical commercials on TV, like for these pharmaceutical drugs and stuff. Uh, tell your doctor if you've had a vaccine recently or are planning on getting one before taking this and, and that kind of thing. And and that's the thing. The doctor will outright ask you, well, did you have any vaccines recently? Yes. Yes, I did. Well, it couldn't be. Well, that. it wasn't that. And that, that, was, that was stunning. <laughs> Precisely. And I was just totally stunned and flabbergasted. Wow. This is a guy I had known for years. I trusted him as my doctor. I still would trust him if he was still around. I'll be honest, because he's... He is an excellent doctor, aside from this thing. But I, I know that's equated, basically, to his indoctrination yeah. in, in medical school. That, that he found, he you know, he felt compelled to ask the vaccine question and then outright dismiss it within the next sentence. And I, I'm still stunned by that reaction. But it, it just goes to show, even the smartest and, uh, you know, most 
empathetic of doctors and stuff are indoctrinated to this level. So it's one of those things where you really have to do your own research and be your own advocate. And, and this is exactly what goes on with this type of stuff. So, and that's true story. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I, I'm still shocked to this day that yeah. that exchange, the very the first two sentences that came out of his mouth. First, he asked me, you know, did he have a vaccine? And then the second thing he said, oh, it couldn't be that. It couldn't be that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you, you know, it's um, I, I wanted to kind of this kind of brings me to a point. I'd like to I wanted to kind of add this in before before we wrap up is the idea that. Um, you, you know, one of the things that, uh, as I was kind of doing a little bit of extra research on the cybernetic history um, in advance of tonight, is that um, the way, uh, listening to the stories of a couple of guys who were there at those conferences, and um, and the stories of kind of how initially they kind of got together, and of course they're not telling the whole story, but I, I do find that um, this idea of, you know, interdisciplinary study, and um, kind, of, kind of, you know, the way they tell the story is that these guys who were brilliant mathematicians, were brilliant um, uh, neuroscientists, kind of, um, they had some things in common, but, you know, math doesn't know anything about neuroscience, and the neuroscience guy didn't know anything about math, but they could appreciate each other's views on things um, because they were, you know, brilliant, interesting people. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, one of the best ways to, to understand people, and because the way that we think as people is um, through the through the use of narrative, right? If you if I tell you um, what Jason is like, right, you, you might think that um, I'm coming to some sort of judgment or um, that's what I think about him. But, but if I tell you a story about him, right, here's the time Jason did this, then you can make your own, you know, conclusions about that. And so we, we understand these things through narrative. Um, but the idea that, um, you know, exceptional people surround themselves with exceptional people, and um, they begin to look at these things and, and understand um, a more holistic uh, view of things as they, they started looking at interdisciplinary study. And then interestingly, what they did was they flipped it around and said, uh, but we're going to keep that from people, right? That they they uh, prevented it at every level, and um, this is the part that I kind of wanted to add is that uh, in a converse, in the conversation that we were uh, were having on on Sunday, uh, Jason with Crow kind of brought up the idea that um, in, in what what you know is loosely called the, the truth or community or the truth movement, um, we often spend a great deal of our time digging through the lies, right, and, and breaking these things apart and deconstructing them, uh, but we often spend very little time pushing forward into something that's true. Um, there's again very little time spent on truth and more time spending um, tearing apart the lies. Um, but, but I would uh, want to just encourage people, like one of the, the best um, things for me is, you know, I grew up very, very curious, and so I wanted to know, you know, everything. Um, and I, I was actually really depressed at a period of like from 11 to 13 because um, I felt like, you know, Da Vinci, that I would, I would die before I learned anything about anything because I quickly understood that the more you, uh, more an questions you answer, you, it opens 10 more questions that are more complicated, and you'll never get to the end of anything. Um, and, and, but, but this idea of um, interdisciplinary study and seeing correlations between things was always fascinating me, and, and, and to me, it was one of the, the best things, um, you know, I, I guess I would just encourage people to, ha to, to do study on your own, right, and, and don't don't rely on the opinions of experts and those who have the, um, you know, the degrees and stuff. Um, chances are that all they did was just repeat what somebody else said, right? They're not any smarter than you. Um, and so spend some time learning as many different things as you can, and, and you begin to see things a different way. Like I said earlier, you begin to see that there there are patterns that, that um, repeat themselves in a, in a variety of different things, and you, become, uh, you find corollary things, right? So uh, for me, I can look at um, music and um, art 
and cooking in a variety of, of different corollary ways that are that are sort of interlinear and and they make sense together. And I can describe cooking in a way that uh, musicians can understand that sort of thing. The more you begin to learn, the the more um, the the less culpable or the less capable they are to influence you by um, telling you lies because you go that just doesn't make any freaking sense dude <laughs> right so um, I would just encourage people to become what I would call uh, an autodidactic polymath right so <laughs> teach yourself to learn a variety of different things um, at least to the level of, of uh, a, you know a core competency where you feel comfortable with it and that you can uh, dialogue in those topics right and it, it will not only make you more confident but but you're not going to get lied to right you, you just call bullshit when you hear it and go no man that that ain't right right and um anyway that, that would be my encouragement it's right it is for you and and if you're homeschooling your kids or whatever teach them to to think um between the lines right and to put these things together uh and look at the what the information that falls through the cracks uh the things that they tell you that um um you, you know they're teaching you history and they teach you economics and they teach you government but they never teach you how those things all went together right and, and that much of um what happened in the um early american history had to do with money and the and a national banking system and the federal reserve um, they keep those things separate why because if you connected the dots you, you, you'd overthrow the government you go no oh i get it now right so um they keep those things separate so um that'd be my encouragement to people is just um, uh, study as many different things as you can, um, to, as deeply as you can. Um, it, you know, you, you can get off the, the the hamster wheel of of every conspiracy, but but get into understanding the basics of, of things, and sooner or later, um, you will not um, be easily swayed uh, to buy into bullshit. Polly Mathery for the win. <laughs> win. So we're down to fourteen minutes. Shall we talk about where the future looks to be heading with cybernetics? It's bad, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, way, way to spoil the whole thing in just one sentence. Now, come on, man. <laughs> no, I had my bid. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> Wayne, what are we looking at? What are we looking I, I at for the future? Uh, well, basically, if everything goes according to the plan of the people that are in power right now uh, at the top of the control, control structure... Um, we're looking at a, uh, you know, a, a panopticon control grid of just unbelievable proportions. Um, we'll be looking at uh, invasive technologies that are actually wired directly to our brains and our bodies and are, are transmitting our data in real time to an artificial intelligence control system. Uh, basically, we'll be the Borg for the most part. Uh, your Your thoughts will be available on the internet it's called the internet of thoughts i'm not kidding this is not something i thought up this is something they have actual policy papers about and have mm -hmm. been talking about uh this is a subsystem of the internet of things uh which is rolling out heavily right now um so all of this stuff is basically you know uh, not science fiction guys it's, it's not in the realm of science fiction at all these technologies exist right now and uh, I believe they're being implemented right now. I have good reason to believe they may be uh, being implemented right now. So uh, it, it's it's one of those things where you got to take it all with a grain of salt. And I, I'm not about, you know, putting out fear. I just want people to understand the information that these things exist and they're out there. And the people controlling them right now don't necessarily have the best intentions for you and I with this stuff. 
So uh, we need to be aware and kind of put the brakes on things while we still can. And, and there uh, certainly is remove, a, good deal of, a good deal of evidence just in, in terms of um, the, the, the widening of the Overton window on these topics and, and to make uh, these things uh, seem acceptable and desirable, you know, uh, in media, uh, movies like uh, She and, um, you know, um, iRobot and these different things that, uh, that, that push these ideas, um, you know, um, the... Um, uh, the singularity, right? So they're pushing these ideas uh, as being uh, not only acceptable but but desirable. Um, I, you know, I, I know more than one person who's uh, who, who thinks it would be a great idea uh, to to give up their body and just be uploaded into the internet and and to exist uh, forever in in that state. One with but the cloud. Again, this. <clears throat> Excuse me, but once again, this this harkens back to the idea of spirit. Where does the spirit reside in all of this? It's one thing to think that you could possibly maybe uh, transfer your consciousness into a machine, but uh, would this really be your actual spirit uh, residing within that consciousness? Or is this just a, a clever computer replication of your brain patterns and your thought patterns and things like that? That, that's the other question, and I think that's, that's a valid question that needs to be explored, and it seems to me that uh, for the large part of transhumanists, they have this more secular view of things. They think uh, in terms of hyper-materialism, that uh, we're nothing more than, uh, you know, just these physical beings, and that there's not really any such thing as like a spirit or a soul, per se. They, so, they, Wayne, they hardly think... believe this. Do you, do you think that they actually believe that or do they want you to believe that? Because from, from my view, I don't think they believe that. I think they know better. I think they want people to believe that. I think that's the idea that they're pushing and the, and the ideology, but I don't think they believe that. Well, that's that's the other thing. I mean, there are some of them that do heartily believe that. And there yeah, but not at the highest that... controlling levels, right? I mean, some of the people they have pushing no, it. No, I suspect you... Jordy Rose and those kind of guys, they're into it. But but when you get up to the higher levels, the people who are really, you know, uh, being having their strings pulled to pull the strings, uh, the level two marionettes or whatever you want to call them, um, you, know, you know, they seem to, to have a belief system that isn't um, entirely non-materialistic. So Right. No, and I, I could see your point there, and I think there is some level of that going on where there are people at the top of the power structure that don't believe this, but they would like for you and I to believe this. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, if they if they want us to believe that we could have our consciousness, you know, uh, transferred into a machine so that we could live forever and, uh, you know, we lose our soul in the process of that, then that's that's kind of a disturbing thing, and you got to wonder sort of the what, what's their motivation. Isn't right? that sort of the promise though of uh, immortality through? Um, that is the promise. Yes, through through being um, uh, the transhumanism is that you can live forever, and um, you know your your body may perish, but your your soul will live on, um, but but you lose that soul in the process. And I, to to me, that seems to be the threat, the imminent threat uh, of right. the transhumanism movement uh, is to to join in with the prospect of immortality, um, but an immortality um, that is uh, well very unpleasant. Right, and this all has its roots way back in the Garden of Eden. You can be as God, and that's where it's all about. It's a lie, the great lie, 
uh, yeah. in my view, in my estimation, uh, when you look at it from a, a spiritual perspective. But uh, you have to understand that a lot of the scientists and people that are, are working on these uh, transhumanist ideas and technologies, they do heartily believe that uh, consciousness could be equated to nothing more than uh, a byproduct of the electrical activity of our brains. It's an algorithm in their estimation. So being such, if they believe that it's nothing more than an algorithm or an, uh, a chemical byproduct of, of our, our brain chemistry, then this is something that could be transferred into a machine. Well, then they have been pushing. I mean, I, I've watched over time, um, and even going back before you know my lifetime, but they've, they've been pushing this idea um, through the academic scientific community uh, of trying to associate and conflate um, you know, the, the body with a machine and the mind with a machine, and they, they kept um, you know, trying to associate um, the, the brain as a computer and these sorts of things. When, um, when you really get into it and you really study even the nature of our artificial intelligence, um, those in the know will tell you that that's absolutely, you know, false in, in every every way. Um, a bunch of switches does not, um, uh, you know, a, a spirit make you. You're never going to get an aware um, being. You're going to get um, something that can do a lot of calculations, right? But they they have been trying to uh, get us to think of ourselves strictly in a materialistic machine-like mode. Um, I, I even watched some propaganda uh, school films from the 50s uh, where they, uh, you know, talking about nutrition, but but it's all about feeding the machine of your body, <laughs> right? And and all, all about um, basically treating your your body as as nothing more than a machine. You're, you're not, um, you know, you're not a uh, a spirit in in, in a body, uh, and all the things the philosophers taught us, um, going back, you know, all the way to Plato and before them. In fact, as you say, all the way back to the to the garden, um, all the things that make us special and unique as as sentient beings are being stripped away, uh, so that we would uh, easily accept the idea that we are simply, um, uh, for all intents and purposes, a, a really smart uh, robot. Yeah, precisely. That's that's what it's all about. They they wholeheartedly want us to accept that. And if you accept that, then that means you're nothing more than someone else's property when it comes down to it. Uh, you'd be subservient because you wouldn't have human rights per se. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is this is why they promote atheism so much when it comes down to it too, uh, because all you have to do is look back at uh, our 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 uh, Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. See, if you don't believe you have a Creator, you don't have rights. You don't have any rights. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the, you know, the, the whole and isn't that premise the that they use. Right. Yeah, that's a separation that uh, gets used and what uh, Crow and Jason study uh, and, and do stuff on all the time is how the legal uh, profession and, and the legal construct has essentially divorced us again from the natural law right. uh, in, into you know the new, you know the new world order statute law, um, which then uh, takes away your rights and uh, submits it to a government control, right? Uh, to to an overlord because um, you, you don't have the ability. I mean, you can go all the way back to the Catholic Church with this, right? With their papal bull uh, that says you're lost at sea. You, you don't have um, self determinism. You don't have free will, right? And then uh, ultimately, as you say. They're going to lead you into nihilism, <laughs> right? And that's that's exactly where the it's going to, and, and that's what they want. See, because if if you believe in the whole uh, nihilist mentality, 
and the whole, uh, say, atheist mentality, then transhumanism looks pretty promising, doesn't it? I mean, you could have immortality. It'd be fantastic. Sure. You could be multi-bodied. You could be multi-dimensional. Uh, you could pretty much be all-powerful. You can be as God. And beholden to no one, right? With, that, with no accountability whatsoever. Right, and that, that's what the promise is, that they're, they're dangling in front of people. But uh, I'm here to tell you, it's a lie, folks. It's all a lie. Well, it's and not it's going to be for everybody. Trap. Even if they get the technology working in a way that you can start replacing body parts and living longer, it's not for everybody. It never was for everybody. <laughs> it's for the elite. I think, I think I think there is a, uh, a you know a part that's for the elite, but I, I think that there um, there seems to be a push to get um, uh, uh, along with the sort of the, the mandatory vaccination thing again, which takes away your rights to, to choose what goes um, into your body and to take away your rights of your your own uh, choice of health. Even, even drug laws do that, right? That you they, they have a say over what you can ingest and what you can do with, with your body. Um, so uh, I think there uh, there there probably is going to be a push, a secondary level, and 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 maybe this is you know not to get too far out there but maybe this is um uh, corollary to, to what we find with the um, you know the mark of the beast and the, uh, you have um uh something put in either in your forehead or, or in your hand so you have the, the high level or the low level right that um that you're implanted with something that uh, makes you part of the system uh, so they can track and control you and um you know uh, you know gives you um well you get access to the system but you're you're not um one of the privileged elites right so i mean there's there's possibility there i see possible correlation i'm uh, not making any prognostications or again i don't want to don the, the cloak of chicken little here but um but but to say that um it does seem to me from what from what the all appearances uh, that there is going to be a mandatory push to to be part of uh, the internet of thoughts uh, because they they want to um they, they don't want you having free will they, they don't want you to uh, to be an independent uh, being um because to me that's the that's the biggest thing when people say to me like well, what can we do to, to break this up if it's all a constructed mixture so i go you know what again follow follow your heart and follow nature and follow the um the uh, um, uh, the invitation of the universe, right? And and to be um, you, your own person, that screws people up. When, when you act in um, selflessness and love, um, that that's the opposite of what they are. And and so rather than behaving in the construct, you're, you're now behaving as a as an autonomous, um, life-filled, spirit-filled being, uh, and that screws up their system real bad. We're just about out of time Absolutely. here, guys. Wayne, do you want to? Uh wrap this up for us and uh, before we go if anybody is interested in uh, our new sponsor Randy from Houston's new product that he just put out it's called lowerthefriction.com I'm going to be a guinea pig for that probably this weekend I'm going to go visit him in Houston and I'll let you know how it goes but if you guys want to give it a shot uh, go to lowerthefriction.com and use promo code SOS which is of course for Secrets of Saturn for 5% off and if the company builds up maybe we'll be able to do some more promotions this is just something to kind of get it kickstarted so there you go wayne let's uh let's tie it up yeah lower the friction.com folks go check it out it's good stuff i mean i'll stand behind randy on this because uh i'm familiar with the product uh which he has said it, it's been you know on the market since 1975 it's a good quality product so if you know you you feel compelled to do so check out the website and put in sos for the promo code so uh uh let's Go ahead and we'll wrap it up from there. Uh, it's been a great discussion on cybernetics, uh, you know, where we're going with it, the, the, a brief history of, of what it's about. But uh, the main takeaway I think people need to 
uh, go away with with this is the idea of knowing that uh, this is the actual science that's being used against you on a daily basis in uncountable ways. And if you just start to uh, take a, a step back for a moment from your daily routine and look at these different things and different ways that it could affect you, just even by looking at things like, say, uh, I don't know, the school system or the economic system, take a look and see, okay, where is there somebody interfering with this system or, or placing something in this system in order to benefit themselves in some way? That's the causal circuit, okay? That's the causal circuit concept. Where is this happening? And what is it causing to happen? And then you can see how the feedback loop comes back around again, and uh, it, it just keeps replenishing itself in that kind of a way. So when you can see that this is how the system is used, then you start to see the world in a different way. Like you'll, you'll understand better why things operate the way they do, because largely our thought processes have been compartmentalized by design, by our education system and, uh, you know, just our, the social structure that we live in. So when we start to see the big picture and look at things from the holistic perspective, the world starts to look a little different and you understand better what's going on around you. And I think that's the important takeaway from all this. Uh, Baldini, would you have anything to add? Oh man, I just, um, uh, always again, thrilled to, to be here and, and talk with you guys. Um, you know, I, um, I do think that, you know, exceptional people try to surround themselves with exceptional people. And, um, uh, every time I talk to you guys, I get more and more out of it. And, um, uh, it, it, uh, inspires me to, to keep learning more and, um, uh, always a pleasure, uh, hanging out with the cool kids. Well, thanks guys. I, I had a great conversation with you and thank you to everybody who tuned in. Uh, we'll see you next week. I don't think we have the topic picked out yet unless Wayne's got something in mind that he hasn't told me about. But either way, we should see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care.